5 o'clock in Pirate Country, and 94.3 The Game is going to get you home with the P-Man. In 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Lock it in. Turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. How's it going, everybody? Welcome in on a football Friday, a Hoops Friday, Pirate Basketball tomorrow against SMU. Happy to have you uh, with us here on the Get You to the House edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Get You Home edition uh, of uh, the PJ Show, our first work week back to start uh, 2020. And uh, boy, we can already all use that uh, two-day break we all covet. The 7-8, and 1-1 one one in the American Pirates playing host of the 12-2, and 2-0 SMU Mustangs to Tomorrow, Williams Arena, Minji's Coliseum. It is a uh, 2 o'clock start. You'll hear it on 107.9 WNCT or on 94.3 The Game. But we really want you to head out there and uh, support this team tomorrow. A big crowd would be uh, great tomorrow in front of a national TV audience, but also for the uh, Pirates uh, as they take on an SMU team that's very good. Got a win against UCF the other night. Pirates are coming off a gutsy win against uh, USF and uh, ECU trying to snap a 10-game slot to the SMU Mustangs. Cy Seymour will be with us in a few minutes. Cy's going to talk about the uh, matchup uh, and uh, we'll get his perspective still to come. Dimitri Urvanos on the college football playoff and uh, some of the uh, moves made uh, in the college coaching ranks here. Uh, most notably, Mike Leach going to Mississippi State. Uh, Joe Dooley earlier this morning at Shootaround talking about uh, this uh, matchup against uh, SMU and the talent that they possess. Very balanced. I mean, they, they play very fast, great offensive team numbers are off the chart. Um, very, very athletic. Probably the most athletic and best offensively balanced team everybody else. And here's Joe on uh, what is proving to be a wide open uh, American Athletic Conference as of right now. I've been looking at some of the RPIs. I mean, you've got Houston, uh, obviously SMU, you've got Wichita State, so also Red Star Memphis. That was a heck of a game last night, Memphis from Wichita State. Uh, I think there's a lot of teams in the middle that could really show up. I think so. Well, SMU certainly feels like they can factor in that. They're off to the nice start. Pirates are going to try to halt their momentum tomorrow. It'll be a a big matchup as uh, ECU takes on SMU, and uh, we hope you'll be out there uh, at the stadium. We'll also have our social media coverage as well, so it'll be what we're uh, doing uh, for you tomorrow here. Uh, the game can be heard on 94.3. The game, the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Uh, quick timeout, and we'll come back. Uh, we've got Cy uh, Seymour on the line, and we'll talk ECU, SMU, and a lot more when we return on the Patrick Johnson Show Friday edition. Wake up with Clay Travis. Get home with the P-Man on Pitt County's home for sports. 94.3, the game. Here we go. We're back. Back to the P-Man. 
This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. As we told you, Pirate Basketball uh, coming up tomorrow. Our great friend Cy Seymour, who will be on the uh, IMG Network call with Jeff Charles, is uh, on the phone with us uh, here, ECU and SMU, tomorrow. Uh, what a win, though, Cy, uh, the other uh, night. Uh, very happy to, to see Joe and the uh, gang pull that out. And uh, hello to you on this Friday. Hello, Patrick, and you're, you're right on it. It was a really good win uh, for the Pirates, Joe Dooley, and his staff. They work hard. And it was a really a gratifying win for his ball club. And Patrick, this is a team that beat UConn by 15 three days earlier. So this is not a every team you play in this league is very very good. Can beat anybody in the league. What really impressed me about what happened uh, the other night was Jaden Gardner's not only his performance, but there was a lot of emotion from Jaden Gardner the other night. That was that was really fun and interesting to see. Yeah, it, it, it is so much fun to watch him play anyway. Then when he plays with emotion, he is really special. I mean, he you know he scores 23 points. He's doubled all the time. They double him hard, and, and he somehow gets out of it, and his energy level is so high that he can get open. But that's a credit to Joe Dooley and his staff. He might not get it on the first entry pass, but he might get it on the third pass. So – they do a nice job of being patient, or have been lately, being patient and getting that ball to him at key times, and it opens up everybody else. Cy, what about, uh, you know, it's a film game, and they're going to get film, opponents are. Uh, you know, I thought Wichita was fairly effective trying to keep Jaden from getting it late where he wanted it. Uh, not so effective at USF. Um, there'll be nights that'll be effective. There'll be nights they'll be able to keep uh, the ball out of Jaden's hands, uh, perhaps in key moments. What, what does the development have to be here on Jaden's part, on his teammates' part, and on the coaching staff's part to make sure that even in those moments where you know it's going into Jaden for a key bucket, you're still able to run what you want to run? You know what I think one of the keys is, is this. He's hit a couple of threes. That makes them expand out. It, see, that, that really, that's not been a dimension in this game. In the last two ball games against Wichita and against South Florida, I, I was watching Tommy Harrion's reaction when he hit the second throw, when he hit a three the other night, and he just put both hands in his head like, you know, how can you guard him inside and outside? You know, it's really, really difficult. Because if you come out on him hard, he can drive by you and lay it up. Nope, nobody has the quickness that he does. And so – they might body up with him in the paint, but when you extend them out, they don't want to guard that guy. He, he is downhill strong, and he can finish. In fact, I think he can foul a lot and still make shots. Yeah. He's really tough. So the, I, I think you'll see, you'll see Jankovic. He's got really big guys that are aggressive. They will double down every chance they get. But the problem is he can still get it somehow. It's amazing what he can do. The great Cy Seymour on the phone with us here. ECU and SMU tomorrow at uh, 2 o'clock. Williams Arena, Minji's Coliseum, middle part of a three-game homestand for the Pirates here who uh, have won five of six and are one and one in the American. Uh, SMU will be a tough out. We'll talk more about the ponies coming up in uh, just a little bit. Uh, Tremont Robinson-White, probably one of his... uh, 
worst game since since uh, getting healthy and coming uh, into the lineup uh, and uh, an opportunity to bounce back tomorrow. That's the beauty of basketball. Oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, it's not that, it, you know, he, when you really think about it, I think that's his eighth game on the major college level. I mean, so when you look at it in terms of where he's been and where he is, he's given you great efforts. I mean, he had three assists three assists, two turnovers, but you'll see him score a lot more. He is he is going to be a player, and he defends hard. But uh, you're going to have bad nights. I think Tyree Jackson's playing much better. I think he's getting better. Uh, I like Brandon Sugg, and I know Joe got him on the 29. Freshman's playing hard. I mean, he you know he got you double figures. He's the only other guy in double figures. And Coach Hill is smart. He's got to rest these young guys. Uh, I, I tell you, a key shot to me was Baruti's three. Oh, yeah. Down the stretch. You know, that because that, he's got it. I'm telling you, he is a good basketball player. In his last two games, he's done a lot of good stuff. Had to give him some So, Baruti's three was really big the other night. But, uh, you know, in this league, everybody has to give it everything every night. Holtman's playing a lot better. All right, so it's not just one guy. And the great thing when you look at them, all of these guys are back. I mean, you know, that's the wonderful thing of it. Uh, Luster's going to be better. Newton's playing well, I think. But they'll score more. They're on this level. Cy Seymour is uh, with us uh, on the phone, and uh, we appreciate Cy taking a few minutes with us uh, here at ECU at SMU uh, tomorrow. Cy, from a coaching perspective, uh, the defensive lapses, and of course they locked down in the final seconds, but you know a few defensive lapses, things as simple as getting back, and then the turnovers late in the last couple of games. Uh, from a coaching perspective, those have to be very concerning. Yeah, they are. I mean, you know, the good thing is when you look at the uh, – at South Florida, they had seven assists and 11 turnovers. ECU at least was a one-to-one ratio, 13 and 13. And and that's that's a good sign. But you're right, it's still too many. But it's a, it's a big difference than the 20-some that you had against Wichita State. And so my point is they're getting better, and they're going to get better. These are young kids that are they're having to grow up right in front of all of us. Patrick, I'm going to tell you this. In the 21 years I've been doing this, the six-minute and 56-second run at the beginning of the second half against SM, I mean, it's USF, who is very good, was one of the best basketball. It was like a clinic by ECU. And, and I'm telling you, they at that, in that stretch, ECU went 9 for 11. I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. And 2 for 2 from 3. That stretch, they shot 81%. And it was just beautiful basketball in six minutes and 54 seconds or 56 seconds something like that. And if, if that potentially can continue to grow, it's going to be a really good program and a really good product we're getting to see here. And, and I'm going to tell you, you give everybody the credit to this coaching staff for what they're doing. They are really doing uh, a good job. And the timeouts are perfect. They come back out after them and get good buckets. There's just a lot of good things going on. Now, can, can you go bad? Sure you can because this is a big-time league. But right now, you got to like the way he sees basketball is headed. I mean, that's a mark of a of a great coach is you draw something up out of a timeout on an inbound and score the basketball. I mean, that's a very underrated part of the game. Yeah, and he, and he knows what to call. I mean, the other night when things began to get tough, coach takes the timeout, they come back out, and all of a sudden you get a layup or a three-point play. Uh, just a lot of nice nice things that they're doing. And, and, and what I like, Patrick, is when they come on the floor, physically we're matching up with teams. 
uh, and we have depth. That's that's a big key. I mean, when you look up and uh, Tremont Robinson, you know, is playing twenty minutes. You 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 got it right. I mean, Coach Dooley has it right right now. I mean, I look down the line and Tremont played twenty one minutes, and your other guard, Tristan Newton. He played 29. You're, you're getting them in there, and not any. the only guy that's killed himself is Jade Garner. Yeah. And he can, listen, he can play another game. I mean, he is, he's a different level player. Well, he's in better shape this year, too, and that, that's made a – not that he was in bad shape last year, but he, he's gotten physically more impressive, and uh, that's that's a good thing. Cy Seymour is on the phone with us here. Uh, when you – you know, or, or as a coach designing that out, I mean, how much time do, do you put into, as a coach, those kind of out-of-bound plays? I know coaches, you know, work on uh, their craft year-round, especially in this day and age, you know, sharing ideas, trying to go and learn more about certain things. But that out-of-bounds, uh, you know, opportunity under your basket, it's usually a way to yeah. get points. You know, how much emphasis would you put on that in practice? And, and did you have a couple of go-to plays that evolved over the years? Yeah, you have quick hitters, then you have corner shots is what I used to have. And then I have one that's a lob. Uh, so I have about four or five good sets. But what Coach Dooley does, you may not get it on the first cut, but he's setting it up for the second cut. I mean, everything. And even and look, when he takes the time, uh, timeout on the sideline by him, you better believe it's already set what they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, he's great at uh, Let me tell you, Jeff Lebo was great at it. These guys are the real deal. These are teachers and students of the game that really know how to do it. And Joe is just really successful. And, and uh, he's just – he's really a very, very good coach with very good assistance. These guys, I mean, when you look down that bench, you feel good about who's talking to these kids. Yeah, absolutely. Cy Seymour is with us. SMU's 11-2, and two, Cy. What's the scouting report on the Mustangs? I think if you had to tell me who's the scariest team in this league, it's is Tim Jankovic's team at, at SMU. Uh, they, their guys, the lowest guy of, the, of their top four, minimum 31 minutes. They go the whole game. They do not play around. Tyson Jolly, their point guard, who was a guard we went after. We mm-hmm. didn't get him. Mm-hmm. He's from Arkansas. He went to JUCO, and then he, but he was first at uh, – I'm sorry, it was at Baylor. He, you know, he's, he's averaging 15 a game. Uh, Ferran Hunt averaging 13 a game at 6'8". The, the kid that's really – I can't wait to see him play is Kendrick Davis. He's a 5'11 point guard who was at TCU who can fly. He, he shoots – he's scoring at 16 points. He shoots 52% from the field, and he's 92% from the line and can go. He is a jet. Isaiah Mike uh, is 6'8 and a forward, and he's averaging 15'6". And then Charquois is the center at 6'9". And they stay – that's a lot of their lineup. I mean, those guys, four of those guys play 31 to 34. They just get it done for them. And, and I'm going to tell you, Jankovic, this is his team. That he's now clear of Larry Brown. Right, kid. yeah. And, and you got to give him credit. This is a good, good basketball team. I mean, look, he was down 15 at Vanderbilt and came back and won. I mean, he has, his wins are so impressive so far on the road that uh, you, you really have to look at, at what he has done. Uh, he, he loses at Georgia in overtime. That's one of his losses. Right. Uh, but he is a very good coach. He's, you know, you know, he wins the other night against UCF. So he he right now twelve and two. And, and I'm just telling you, I like him as a coach. You know, he and Joe were together at, at uh, Kansas. So these are these are guys that know each other. A good coach and, and a very good basketball team. 
And uh, it, this is a bi- this is a big boy game coming up. These two teams can go at they'll go hard both teams. But ECU's got to play extremely well. Uh, Jenkins has got two or three years on Joe as far as building his own team. So, but Joe will be there. ECU will play hard. And that is all the uh, reason it's important to have folks show up tomorrow. I mean, it's an early enough game. It's not too early. It's almost the perfect time. I uh, hope a lot of folks will show up at the arena tomorrow because I think the crowd made a big difference the, the other night, and I think they can make a big difference tomorrow. Oh, I do too. I think, uh, you know, you got a 2 o'clock tip, which is, is, is perfect. And, I, and, I, and to be quite honest, the crowds that have been coming in and those students are there has been unbelievable. They have really, really, I think, helped the ECU win these ballgames. And it's, just, it's the local people that have been coming out. You know, and it, it makes a big difference. I think the marketing group has done a really good job on getting the local people out to watch ECU play, and they've enjoyed the product. The other night when that game got tight, you know, and ECU wins it by three, Baruti hit this shot. USF was tight. That noise was getting to them, and they missed open jumpers. And I think it was the pressure. I think it got to them. And uh, so give credit to the crowd. It always helps. That you know you're playing hard and they're rushing their shots and they miss them. But give credit to to the fans for helping bring that win to the Pirates. Cy Seymour, always great to uh, talk to you. Give me a couple of keys for ECU tomorrow. I think one of the things you have to do, you can't turn it over. We talked about that before. Thirteen turnovers last game. These guards can go after you. They really can. I mean, uh, I'm just telling you, you got to watch Davis and Jolly. Their bigs are quick and mobile got to protect the basketball. you got to hit the glass. Uh, they are known for just attacking. They're, you know, they're 6'8", 6'9", and 6'8", on the back line, and they are athletes, and they can go after it. So you're going to have to really block out and play hard. you got to shoot the three ball. you got to be able to knock down some things. I thought one the other night where we hit enough threes to distance ourselves and to hang on. So you got to hit some threes, and then just play solid defense. But other than that, those are the things that ECU has to do. Hey, Cy, thanks a lot. Uh, Looking forward to the game tomorrow, and uh, hope the Pirates can uh, can, uh, get a victory, make it uh, back-to-back conference wins. Boy, wouldn't that be something. Going to be a tall order, but a good crowd would go a long way in uh, helping that. So uh, looking forward to tomorrow, and uh, thanks a lot for your time here on a Friday. You're welcome, Batman. Look, take care of yourself. Get some rest. <laughs> I'll do my best. Uh, <laughs> okay. The great size Seymour with us. Hey, we got more to come here on the Patrick Johnson Show, including some college football. So don't you dare go away on a Friday. Stay tuned for more of the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game, the flagship station of the ECU Pirates and Pitt County's home for sports. I'm Ben Barm. If you're at 94.3 The Game, sports update. ECU basketball looks to make it two conference wins in a row as they battle SMU at home tomorrow at 2. The Pirates are 4-14 all-time against SMU. Look to snap a 10-game losing streak against the Stangs. Coach Dooley earlier this morning had plenty to say about just how wide open the American Conference is. I've been looking at some of the RPIs and we've got Houston. Uh, obviously, SMU, you've got Wichita State, so it's a great start. Memphis, that was a heck of a game last night. Memphis and Wichita State. Uh, I think there's a lot of teams in the middle that could really show everybody think so. Around college hoops tonight, tipping off at 7-12th ranked Maryland battles Iowa. The Hawkeyes are only two-point underdogs, and then later tonight at 9, 6th ranked Butler takes on Providence. The Bulldogs only one-and-a-half point favorites in that matchup. Plenty of action in high school hoops tonight as North Pitt battles Bettingfield. Farmville Central travels to North Johnston. JP2 hosts Wayne Country Day. 
Rose challenges Eastern Wayne, D.H. Conley takes on CBA Cock, South Central matches up against Newburn, Aiden Griffin hosts North Lenore, Oakwood battles St. Thomas Moore Academy, and Paired Academy travels to Cary Christian. In NFL news, it's been reported that Josh McCown's heroic effort for the Philadelphia Eagles in their playoff game against Seattle Seahawks was hindered by a torn hamstring. He's scheduled to have surgery Tuesday. And wrapping up with some news from the MLB, Cubs third baseman Chris Bryant has re-signed a deal with Chicago worth $18.6 million over one year. And another major signing in baseball includes Boston's Mookie Betts. The outfielder signed a record one-year $27 million deal with the Red Sox in an agreement to avoid arbitration. For your 94.3 The Game Sports Update, I'm Ben Barham. Patrick Johnson. For a guy who thinks he's cool, you're sure no fun. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. The first football Friday of 2020 and Dimitri Ravano's Chewing Clock Podcast. He's back and he's uh, with us uh, here where they uh, talk all about the uh, world of uh, college football, the the fun and the not so fun. Uh, Dimitri, how are you? I am great. Do you realize that it being 2020, we are 20 years after when the Jetsons was set? I know. And I don't see a flying car. Do you? I don't even see a car that folds up into a suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> what was li- What is likely to happen first? A truly compatible, capable of carrying on a conversation, making autonomous decisions, robot uh, uh-huh. made? Uh, the car that uh, flies or the car that folds into a briefcase. It's, it, you know, as crazy as it is to say, it seems like it is going to be the flying car, right? Like we've already got robot made. They're just much less sexy. Uh, and they look like little hockey pucks. Well, and they don't make, they can't, you know, make an autonomous decision and physically deliver you anything. They can, they can get your right. delivery set up. So it's delivered to your door within 24 hours. In a lot of cases, but right. uh, yeah, but they don't have uh, they don't have rosy staff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no one's showing up at your uh, no robot is showing up at your apartment calling you Mister J and then complaining about how little money you make. Right, exactly. Uh, no sass talk from that hockey puck is is what you're saying. How did that. Rosie keep her job? Well, same thing with Florence from the Jeffersons. That's true. <laughs> you know. Uh, all right, Dimitri. Uh, we'll get to the national championship game, but uh, there's a couple other things to talk about, and they center around the conference that uh, we know that uh, you follow quite extensively, the SEC. Uh, I, I the, the, the big news, obviously, boy, Mississippi. You kind of, Mississippi always has sort of a a feel to me that there probably could, you know, things could get a little out of hand in Mississippi. Maybe not to the degree in in Alabama, and certainly not to the degree that they're out of hand in Louisiana. I'm talking the state as a whole now. But Mississippi's always seemed to be teetering on the edge there. And now, uh, from a football perspective, uh, you have uh, two uh, two two big personalities now coaching the college football team teams there uh, i think upgrades at least as far as interest in the programs uh it's going to be a lot of fun possibly uh yeah i agree i think one of the best descriptions of Ole miss and mississippi state uh that you could get anywhere is from stephen godfrey who covers college football for the banner society 
Well, he described those two programs as crabs in a bucket. And if you ever go to the beach and you see a bucket full of crabs, you'll see their goal is not to get out of the bucket. Their goal is simply to make sure the other crabs don't get out of the bucket. (laughs) And so those two programs are very much about one another. They're very much about just staying ahead of one another. I think that Mississippi State, because of the run they had under Dan Mullen, not just in terms of success, but length. I think there are a lot of people there that have lost sight of historically the reality for Mississippi State is that you celebrate seven and eight win seasons, not expect nine and ten win seasons. Do you like the Mike Leach hire? Uh, I think it is interesting. I think I think we will know more about whether or not this is a good hire in maybe two or three years because I think that uh, at least these first two years, he's going to absolutely live in the transfer portal. Because, I mean, look, we, we know what Mike Leach does. Obviously, in Greenville, uh, there is real familiarity with Mike Leach and the air raid system because of uh, his influence on guys that have run the program at ECU. Uh, he has a starting and a backup quarterback next season that were both triple option guys in high school. Uh, he has a roster built for what Dan Mullen and Urban Meyer like to do, which, you know, think about the way the Carolina Panthers were, were uh, using Cam his first season there. Think about the way Oklahoma used Jalen Hurts. I mean, it is a lot of uh, inverted veer, a lot of read option, and that is not the way Mike Leach builds his offense. I, I think it's uh, interesting that if you're going to – make hay from one of those spots you're talking about in the lower portion of the sec a way to do it quite possibly is offensively and i and i know lsu has been great offensively this year bama i think at times is not given enough credit for how truly explosive their offenses has been especially under the last couple of quarterbacks people think when they think the sec at the high level it's all kind of a defensive deal uh, and I think if you're gonna gonna make some hay, you can't you you can't just go out and say, all right, we're gonna we're gonna put together a lockdown defense in year one, year two, uh, especially if the roster doesn't allow for that. Uh, you can build that over time, but in the interim, I think it's easier to, to to rack up some offensive players and put up some some spectacular numbers partic- uh, potentially. Probably aren't gonna do it against the elite teams, but against those teams you're trying to get over to get as close to the top as possible. Just try to outscore him, and that's that's what the move tells me, at least, that they feel like Mike Leach is going to bring the type of offense that'll that'll excite their fan base and maybe even you know win some games they're not supposed to win for the next year or two. Well, you can scheme your way to points, right, to, to your point. You can find mismatches. You can do things that uh, the SEC and, and the defensive coordinators there, particularly guys like John Chavis that have just been cycled through every program in the conference, you can do things those guys haven't seen before to put points on the board. It doesn't matter how much you hold your opponents to if you can't score. And like to your point, and there is like great evidence to your point with Mississippi State, the 2018 Clemson Tigers gave up 13.1 points per game. Mm -hmm. Do you know uh, how close Mississippi State was to that as the number two defense in the country? Uh, Four points, Fred. Three or four points. No, they... They gave up 13.2 points per game. The next closest team gave up a whole seven points more. I mean, so we have seen at that level, uh, at that level of the SEC, teams play elite defense and not be able to get over an eight-win hump. Yeah, I got you. Dimitri Ivanos with us here. Uh, From leaving Georgia, does that surprise you? Uh, 
a little bit, uh, only because he didn't have the great year, and I wonder what he heard from the scouts. The reason I say a little bit is if you are a quarterback that came into college football to some hype, and Fromm had enough hype behind him uh, that they were okay letting Jacob Eason walk uh, and transfer to Washington. I- I'm not surprised because I would imagine the fact that they haven't fired offensive, co- uh, offensive uh, coordinator James Coley sort of told him there was nothing that coming back would do for his draft stock. So if he heard second round grade or above, I can I can understand why he would move on. It seemed like he had that uh, sensational freshman year, at least had a great championship game. Uh, game. So he was going to be the, the next great quarterback. And then it's, it, it seems like we didn't hear from him anymore. Is this more of a from problem or a schematic problem? Uh, I think it is mostly a schematic problem. I also was not wowed by his freshman year the way some people were. I I personally did not understand last year why if Georgia was running the offense they were and Fromm was only throwing the ball 20 to 25 uh, times a game, why not put the better – why not put the more dynamic playmaker in at quarterback? Why not make the switch to field? I I think that Kirby Smart – and you've seen this at South Carolina too with Will Muschamp. And at Tennessee with Jeremy Pruitt, you'll notice all of them are former Saban defensive coordinators. They all, despite having seen their mentor make the change to keep that dynasty alive, they all are married to the biggest, dumbest, slowest offense possible. And I just don't get it. Like, that is the difference between Georgia being in the Sugar Bowl and being a playoff team this year. Yeah. Dimitri Ravano's Chewing Clock is the uh, podcast. Uh, and uh, they talk a lot of college uh, football. Uh, before we get to the championship game, uh, we had the the big uh, Matt Rule leaving Baylor, going to the Panthers hiring. Yeah, uh, you surprised in this from the standpoint. Well, let me well, well, let me rephrase this. We always hear, well, the college coach doesn't succeed at the at the at the pro level. Uh, it took Pete Carroll actually going back to college uh, and then. Uh, going to the pros for a second time to, to have success. Bill O'Brien, you can argue what success is there, but the fact is the Texans are in the playoffs, at least perennially they've been in the playoffs. Uh, now, there are yeah. other spectacular failures with uh, with Saban to a degree, Spurrier most certainly, although it was in Washington with Dan Snyder. Uh, there are other examples. Um, you know, I look at it as the O'Brien example is there's a guy who wasn't so entrenched in his ways uh, or entrenched in a, a way of uber success. Plus, he'd had some pro experience with, with rule. He's kind of that guy on the come as well. He's not uh, someone who's, you know, for 15 years, uh, you know, won 170 games or whatever. I mean, it, it, he, in other words, he's his his success has been more towards kind of rebuilding things and that does take a certain level of management uh skill i guess uh so does this seem to be a little more palatable potentially as far as success or or is this just another list of a a guy who couldn't hack it in the pro level yeah i mean look I, i think we're way too early to know that because we don't even know what he's inheriting uh roster wise with the carolina panthers so much is going to depend on not only how they prognosticate Cam for 2020, but also what they do with that number seven pick. That's going to change or, I guess, determine the whole course of what Rule has uh, going for him down in Charlotte. To, to your point uh, about the types of coaches that NFL uh, franchises are looking at now, 
you know, I look at guys like Saban and Spurrier, and Saban in particular, like we think of him as a failure because he didn't get into the NFL and do what he had done at LSU. Obviously, what he does at Alabama looks way different than what he did with the Dolphins. But remember, he was 500 as an NFL head coach. I think it would have gotten a lot worse because you're right. The problem with those guys is they do what they do. You'll recall when he got to Washington, Steve Spurrier was just flummoxed by the idea that he couldn't golf everything. Um, so I, I do think that NFL GMs are wising up and realizing if you are going to the college ranks, uh, you want to find somebody that has built something recently or rebuilt something recently, which is why Bill O'Brien uh, was and granted the the Belichick uh, kiss of uh, of uh, being chosen, I guess certainly helped with that Texans job, but that made him a little bit more appealing than looking for you know whoever the next Nick Saban was going to be. Let's let's just off the top of our head say Bob Stoops, the guy that had been in a college program mm-hmm. for a long time and had a lot of success. It's why Greg Schiano, despite the fact that if you look back at that first Rutgers tenure, really didn't do a whole lot of winning, he still built Rutgers into a contender in the Big East, and that's something no one else had ever done before. Uh, so even when he got fired for, uh, from Tampa, he was up for uh, another job, I believe the Rams. Like, I think in the last 10 years, I think you're right. I think NFL coaches are, or excuse me, NFL GMs are looking at the college ranks and thinking not – how can we lure Dabo here? But how do we lure the guy like Matt Rule, who has proven he can build things uh, wherever he goes? Because, uh, you know, Al Golden was successful at Temple, but not as successful as Matt Rule. Matt Rule turned uh, Baylor from a a one-win team into a one-loss team over the course of three years. And if you have a job like the Panthers roster sitting in front of you, that's the guy you want managing things. So the championship game Monday, uh, and uh, a lot has been made of the epic quarterback battle, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow. Beyond that, what are the key matchups? Uh, I think the biggest thing, and it, it sort of ties into the quarterbacks, I think it is going to be how they use their running backs. Because if you are just talking about north and south running Uh, Clemson probably has the advantage. If you are talking about anything else, LSU has the advantage by a mile. And that is not taking anything away from Travis Etienne. That is telling you that Clyde Edwards-Elair can do just about anything you want out of the backfield. He's a little bit thicker uh, than Etienne. Um, You know, Etienne is the guy that is going to give you the 60-yard breakaway. Edwards-Elair is the guy that's going to break 60 tackles on uh, on a carry. I foresee, though, the defense is perhaps having a big, big imprint in this game. They they certainly could, and if they do, obviously that does favor Clemson. I think the biggest matchup, or, or the biggest, like the 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 unit versus unit, that's going to determine a lot is Clemson's D line versus LSU's offensive line. Because if you give Joe Burrow enough time. I think he can pick apart that secondary better probably than Tua could last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think that either of these teams are capable of blowing out the other one, uh, but I do favor, given what we've seen this season, I do favor Burrow and his decision-making if he has time to stay on his feet and go through his progression. Uh, who do you like ultimately, Dimitri? I, I like LSU. I think this offense just has... I feel like if this season ends and Clemson wins, we are going to look back at this LSU team and go, how did they not win a championship? Yeah. Uh, whereas if uh, LSU wins, you know, it'll just be the year in this run that Clemson didn't win. Right. <laughs> I, I think that Clemson is capable 
of flipping a switch in a way LSU isn't. But I think this is the Super Bowl of multiple millennia to Coach O and LSU, and they have game-planned and re-game-planned for this over and over again. And you don't want to see Mama O disappointed, by the way. No, no, you don't want to see Coco Ogeron uh, with uh, with her head hung low after that day. <laughs> Mama Ogeron, by the way, quite the looker. Uh, Mama Ogeron looks just like uh, Ed looks just like Mama Ogeron. Mama Ogeron looks just like uh, Ed. And <laughs> I mean, and folks, listen, when PJ says just like Ed, I mean, just like Ed. <laughs> I mean, if, if you gave her a military style haircut and dyed it black, you would not know which is which. Yeah, you really wouldn't. Uh, Dimitri, thank you. Enjoy the game. <laughs> All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Wrap things up. Nikki Novak will uh, join us. We'll talk a little bit about the Golden Globes and uh, some other movies that are out this weekend, including uh, 1917. Uh, that's ahead. Patrick Johnson Show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Like us on 94.3 The Game's Facebook page for breaking sports news, pictures, and videos, programming alerts, and the latest from the ECU Pirates. We have uh, Nikki Novak joining us uh, here as we wrap up uh, a week, a week that uh, started off with the Golden Globes where Nikki was. And I, let me just say this, Nikki, and I realize we're in 2020 and uh, all that, but I, you, the pictures I saw on the gram, you looked enchanting. Enchanting? My goodness. We're starting out 2020 right. <laughs> uh, you, you, were, uh, you, you, had a, you had a great dress. You were looking great there. So Thank it was, you uh, so much. You were, oh de- you were the star you. of the show, in my humble oh. opinion. So, Hardly. Yeah. There were a lot of stars there. So saying that is, you know, a tall order, but thank you very much. Were it you, was really a fun night. I'm still recovering. <laughs> were you in the room when uh, Gervais uh, had his monologue? I, so basically when I do the Golden Globes, I sit in what is called the press room. Okay. So you know when they do the press conferences after they win? Mm-hmm. The winners, you know, you see them standing up at that podium and they're being asked questions by reporters off camera. So that's where I watch the Globes is from back there. Okay. So I do the red carpet, and then before the show starts, I go back there, and that's how I watch it. So I was watching the live feed as it was going on and sitting with all my reporter friends reacting. And we get to really react because he can't hear us. (laughs) (laughs) So you you really couldn't take the temperature of of the hall, as it were, but just behind the scenes. That's oh, beautiful. absolutely. absolutely. And then, like I said, you have the winners coming back, and I don't know if you, like, it's made the news this week that, um, you know, people shout out questions, and basically they give each person that comes in five to ten minutes to do a press conference after they win, and Joaquin Phoenix came back after he won for Joker, and first question the reporter asked him was a question I guess he'd been asked a million times, and he kind of went, isn't that old news, and called the person out, and the whole press conference was contesty with him. Mm. But that sort of, the press conferences do make news as well. Mm-hmm. So sometimes those are the interesting moments, because it's not when they're giving the speeches that they've pretty much prepared, even though they say, I didn't prepare anything, they prepared. So, um, so <laughs> just to get this, there, Nikki Novak from Fandango, by the way, is with us uh, here. So, these... Yeah, by the way, five minutes in. Well, <laughs> everybody knows who the great Nikki Novak is. They've Googled They've, they've, long, they've gone to Instagram and looked chanting. at you. Right. They've gone to Instagram to look at this uh, dress, uh, you know, sort of thing. Now they have. So uh, let me ask you this. What, uh, the, the show is going on. 
and there's somebody back there in a press conference in a separate room. Is that what's kind of happening? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, because it's, it's at the Beverly Hilton, and so backstage is where I am. So it's actually a fun place to be because all the winners come back, and then after the show, there's just celebrities central, like mingling, because they're all going into these different rooms for like Access Hollywood, and they all have rooms back there after the show where the winners come in and do interviews. So it's a great place to kind of be a fly on the wall, if that makes sense. Was there anything that surprised you from it? Oh, everything was a surprise from the Golden Globes. Almost every award. It got to the point where if it wasn't a surprise winner, it was a surprise, okay. if that makes sense. All right. Is this a precursor was, to anything for the Oscars? or or? Not really, because there's only one member that overlaps between the two bodies, between the two voting bodies. Uh, the Critics' Choice, which if you guys all know this, sorry for repeating it, but the Critics' Choice is 90 people. 90 some odd people. Okay. The glow or the, the Oscars is 8,000. Oh so, and there's only one member that overlaps. And really? so you definitely, yeah, there, it's not a precursor, but what it does do is draws attention and creates momentum. For example, I'm a member of the critics choice. We're voting this week for the award ceremony that we have this weekend. So now, because Taron Edgerton won for rocket man, he beat out Leonardo DiCaprio and Eddie Murphy. I'm like, well, hold on. Let's give him a little second look-see. And then they create momentum. So I think it can help. And then the Oscar voters all voted last week, or sorry, this week, right after the Globe. So I think it brings attention in the 1917 one for Best Picture, which was kind of a surprise, even though it was, people say it's the best movie of the year. I don't think it had the hype and the momentum. So now it puts a spotlight on those ones that maybe weren't going to get it otherwise. Fandango.com's. You like that, don't you? Uh, Nikki Nova is, is, with <laughs> us, is with us here. Okay, so um, you mentioned 1917. I, you mentioned this uh, and or, or gave us uh, your review of it late last year. I forget if it was... I did. It was kind of in the holiday time, so maybe people didn't catch it. You know, everybody was sort of off schedule. Uh, could you give us just a quick sort of primer on that for in case someone Yeah, missed it? yeah. Or just a, a real brief yeah, revisit so this here. Is- yeah, real brief. It's a war movie. Obviously, you hear the year 1917, you know which war it is. And it is shot, it is the most immersive movie of the year because it is shot as if you are a fly on the wall because nothing, there's no cut. There's no cut to an actor's close-up. It's just one continuous shot where it follows these two soldiers along on this journey. So you really feel like, some people have said video game because you're just going along, along, along. And I think people have said it's the best war movie ever because it really gives you the feeling of what it was like to be there. Okay. So Steven Spielberg produced. I'll leave it at that. Right. And you met Steven Spielberg, and there, so you're you're already hyped about this because you met Steven oh, Spielberg. Oh, Stevie? You yeah, mean Stevie? Stevie? How, how long <laughs> Uncle is, Steven. How long is 1917? <laughs> it's a couple hours. Okay. It's, I think, a All little right. short of two hours, which I know there's been a lot of long movies lately. And this one actually... Because of the way it's shot, I don't think it could have been a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour movie. It's, it's just under two. All right. So also uh, in wide release, uh, Just Mercy? Just Mercy, yes. Jamie Foxx, um, who got a lot of, um, and Michael B. Jordan, who got a lot of Oscar buzz, has gotten a lot of award season buzz, but the movie just hasn't taken off the way I think they wanted it to in terms of award season. But it's, it's a, based on a true story about a lawyer who's played by Michael um, Michael B. Jordan who has gone into the justice system and realized there was a lot of wrongly convicted people and has worked his whole life, and it's based 
this guy that spent his whole life and he's freed, I think, over the years, about 150 people who were on death row who never committed a crime. So it's pretty compelling. And Brie Larson also, Captain Marvel herself, is in it. And it's, it's a great movie. It just hasn't gotten the buzz of some of the other ones. You have not reviewed Like a Boss, the Tiffany Hatch <laughs> uh, vehicle. Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne. Byrne yeah. So funny thing is I did a set visit in Atlanta last year for this movie, meaning you go to set when they're filming it and you spend a day and you get to watch the scenes they're filming that day and you interview the cast and it sort of makes you feel akin to the movie because you really feel like you were a part of it and you see what went into it. And I got to tell you, Tiffany Haddish never disappoints in terms of an interview. I mean, she and I were chugging champagne. Oh my <laughs> she gosh. Have, she's so much what a fun. life. Oh, she's a blast. She's a blast. Okay. What but I the, have not seen this movie. What I'm are the reviews for it? What have you uh, What have you heard? It's I. It's I know a couple of people that have gone to see it. Um, it's exactly what you'd expect. It's two women who are, have a bunch of money thrown at them by Selma Hayek, and to start a makeup company, and they don't know what they're doing, and it's just total hijinks. It's like a hangover type movie. And I, I'm hearing it's, I'm sure it's fun. I'm sure it's a great, look, if you're sick of award season and award season serious movies, this is it. Go see, <laughs> go see like a box. Turn the brain but off. I'm being honest. Yeah. Right, yeah. I've been sleeping since the Globe. I, ha- I missed the press screening. I've not seen it. Okay. But there you go. There's honesty. Right. No, no, I, I, I understand. <laughs> uh, Nikki Novak uh, from Fandango. Nikki, thank you so much. Thank you. That is Fandango's uh, Nikki Novak. Thanks to Nikki for taking a few minutes with, with us. Also, uh, Cy Seymour, Dimitri Ivanos. Enjoyed our conversations uh, with them. Uh, we got Pirate Hoops over the weekend. ECU, SMU, 2 o'clock tomorrow from uh, Minji's Coliseum. And the uh, Pirates will look to get back-to-back uh, conference wins as they take on the 11-2 uh, SMU Mustangs. It is going to be uh, a heck of a game. Pirates are going to have to play well. The Mustangs are a team that uh, has been a little up and down at times despite the, the gaudy 11-2 record. Uh, they have uh, they have shown signs on offense. They've been good when on offense when they've been good this year, and they've kind of reset uh, things there a little bit. Uh, looking forward to the uh, matchup tomorrow. You'll hear it right here on 94.3 The Game, flagship station of the ECU Pirates at 1.30, 2 o'clock tip. Also the game over on 107.9 WNCT. National Championship uh, game on uh, Monday, LSU-Clemson. We'll have a big preview for you of uh, that. And uh, we'll also on Monday have a weekend winner, weekend worst. Look at all of the uh, NFL playoff action from the uh, weekend. We haven't talked a ton about those games uh, this week with everything else uh, going on uh the game's tomorrow 435 minnesota san francisco niners a seven and a half point favorite at home uh take the niners there uh and the points if you're doing it for entertainment purposes only uh baltimore tennessee <sighs> baltimore is a nine and a half point favorite it's 8 15 tomorrow night i don't think you can go against them uh houston kansas city kansas city a touchdown favorite i think it'll be much more than that and the chiefs roll uh seattle green bay uh the weather forecast there is uh it could be interesting uh packers are three and a half point favorite that's a 305 sunday game uh houston kc 640 is the actual time for uh seattle green bay on uh sunday evening i almost like seattle in that matchup we'll see 
Uh, so maybe Seattle and uh, Seattle straight up. Uh, I'm taking KC. I'm taking Baltimore. I'm taking San Francisco. Uh, so three of the four home teams uh, are winning. Either way, it's, uh, I think, going to be uh, dynamite when they get to the uh, divisional final round. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll uh, see you Monday on the Patrick Johnson Show.